This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. This episode gives us front row seat access to BBC reporter Judith Moritz, who shares her story of becoming a TV journalist, the need to be impartial and accurate in the pursuit of truth. Enjoy. My guest today is Judith Moritz, a BBC journalist born and raised in Manchester, England. She studied English literature at the University College London. When she graduated, she won a coveted place as a graduate journalism trainee with the BBC News. She has worked for the BBC TV, radio, and online ever since, covering stories across the United Kingdom and abroad. Since 2006, Judith has been the North of England correspondent, working for all the BBC's main national and international news programs on both UK channels and the World Service. She has covered a variety of stories from disasters to high-profile legal trials, the 2005 London bombings, and the 2017 Manchester Arena terrorist attack. Judith currently lives in Manchester, England with her husband and three children and enjoys running several times a week. Welcome, Judith. Hi, Jeffrey. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. So I always like to say that I, I start at the beginning. So we know you're born in Manchester. Uh, but what part of Manchester in particular, and what did your parents do for a living? Uh, so, well, it was the suburbs. It was south, south of Manchester, probably a 20-minute ride into the city centre, little place called Sale. Uh, and my parents were professionals. So my, um, my father uh, was a solicitor. He's retired now. And my mom was a nursery school teacher, kindergarten teacher. Uh, in fact, she taught me when I was uh, that small, and then she continued to do that until she became a mature student. She decided uh, to leave work and to retrain, and she went to university um, just around the same time that I did. So that was fun. We were students at the same time. She was studying history of art, and I was studying English literature. Now, so she can take credit for everything since she taught you when you were very young, um, which I'm sure she's done. Uh, so when you were growing up, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you were older? Not from when I was really small, uh, although I saw it around me. So the th thinking about this, the first influences, I think, for me in, in terms of news and the career that I, I wound up following was I, I have really early childhood memories of hearing the theme tune every night at 10 o'clock to the, the news that my, the bulletin that my, my dad would watch. And I was upstairs supposed, supposed to be asleep in bed and I could hear the, the noise of the same tune each night at 10 o'clock. And that was like a comforting thing. I don't know. I, and then I, he had the head news on a lot in the car and the radio on the way to school in the, in the morning. And then at nighttime, the bulletins were always on TV. And I just grew up watching it and consuming it. And, and the other thing is that I had a couple of close relatives who were in the business. So uh, my aunt, my dad's youngest sister was a TV journalist. She's around 10 years older than I am. So I was looking up to her as a bit of a role model. And my uncle, my, one of my dad's brothers, was working in TV, not in journalism, actually, but uh, in, in drama and filmmaking. And I think they 
were talking about their lines of work a lot that encouraged me to get interested but from that kind of young age I don't really remember having a particular direction probably the first time that I picked up real interest was when my uncle Charlie took me to watch there's a soap opera in the UK called Coronation Street I don't know if you if you get it screened over uh, having uh, British in-laws I've seen many uh, many a Coronation Street Right, so, so Charlie used to work on Coronation Street. He took me to watch them filming uh, one day. I went into the TV gallery to watch the director working there, and I was absolutely mesmerized. I found that really, really interesting. Um, that's not journalism. It was just making television. I found that fascinating. And when Did I got, you think maybe you'd go into drama or, to be, or directing or something? The thing I found captivating... To, as, a, as a teenager watching that process was actually watching a director and it was it, it was somebody directing tv drama retake and retake and getting the actors to reshape where they were and, and reshoot the dialogue and that process i found interesting i don't know that i particularly understood all the technical mm -hmm. side of it but i remember sitting in the production hub the, the control room and watching that and finding the way they were stitching together the scenes um, not in a linear way. They were shooting stuff out of order. I found that very interesting. It just was enough to get my my initial interest, I guess, um, kind of peaked. And, and Charlie would talk to me quite a lot then about how television was made and the rules around shooting TV and like some of the technical aspects of that. Um, but the other thing is that I remember because of that, I then picked up interest in looking more critically at how television was formed. Mm. And I think that was probably the beginnings of, of the interest. And so d was Charlie, your uncle, someone you looked up to as a role model at that point? Yeah, sure. But both him and my aunt that I, I told you about, mm -hmm. Eleanor as well, who was working in, in TV journalism. Um, and, you know, family meals and, and things we'd talk about what they were doing. I don't know that I necessarily married that up with the fact that I was watching TV news and reading the newspapers and so on. I, it was all just interesting to me. What I, the time at which I started to perhaps become a little more focused with all of that was when I was leaving school and going to university. So at school, all I knew was that I liked to write. I liked reading and I liked writing and I was following, I always did well in those subjects and I was following a degree program in English literature at university. Uh, but the thing, the key thing there was that I joined the student newspaper and, and that was really where I, I got the bug. It was, and it was nothing to do, <laughs> I don't think, with, you know, the, the kind of the tradition of working in news at that stage. It was, it was a great place to hang out. I met some great friends who I still know today. I used to hang out in the the, uh, the dark room mm -hmm. where the you know the photos were being produced, and, and I got sent out to write stories and student politics, and you know just all that stuff was, was really. So, did you find kind of sniffing out the story when you would go on these assignments kind of intriguing? Yeah, but so the, the, I did, but it was also a hard learning curve because what I was used to doing at that stage was writing long essays about literature. <laughs> So I would turn, so I, I remember the first time that the news editor on the student paper um, sent me out to cover a story. I don't remember what the story was particularly, but I, I remember that I turned in a report that was like, you know, 1500 words long and it was flowery language and it was, they ripped it up. They're like, this is not how you write news. And that was the first time that I, I thought, huh, you know, this is a totally different discipline. And actually, even though I was just doing it at a student level and the people critiquing my reports were student 
journalists as well. They, so maybe they were like a year, a couple of years older than I was. They, they gave me that initial understanding that to write a newspaper report is a totally different ballgame. Um, and so I kind of shaped, I started, I think, to shape the beginnings of the craft there, go out and cover student protests. You know, there were demos, there were crummy little polit you know, political stories around the university union that we'd go and, and report on. And I think over the three years doing that on the student paper, that's where I started to pick up the skills. But the, the other thing that was happening at the same time was that because I had those those contacts through my aunt, my uncle, I'd asked them, mm. you know, if I want to go and, and look at TV and radio, where do I begin? And they gave me a couple of names. They, that was all I got. I got a few names, try writing to this person, try writing to this one. And I sent my resume off to various newsrooms. Didn't hear back from some of them, but I think I tried like, I don't know, five, I looked them up. I tried like five newsrooms. This was pre the internet or very early days of the internet. Um, and I, uh, I got some work experience at the BBC and also at an independent TV company in Manchester called Granada TV. And I was doing that in the, in the university holidays for free. I wasn't being paid. I went and interned, but it wasn't a formal program like you may get today. It was, I was basically going to buy cigarettes for the news editor and answering the phone and making the tea. And I did that all the way through the summer of my first year of uni. And then I did a little, I just kept offering to go in, the, in the, the holidays and at weekends, I was traveling backwards and forwards. I did a bit of it in London where I was at university and a bit in Manchester. And by the time I graduated from university, I had a, a, quite a lot of experience in, in a variety of newsrooms. And that was what got me the opportunity. I applied when I was graduating from university, I applied to the BBC for a trainee scheme. You talked mm. about it in the bio there at the beginning. And those schemes are really competitive. They get thousands of applications. I'm sure. And the difficulty with those schemes is that they um, they often ask people to almost have the experience before they, <laughs> before they get onto the scheme. And you want to go onto the scheme to get the experience. It's a vicious mm. circle. But I guess I had enough of it and they could see the hunger there uh, and the ambition. Mm. And, and I was incredibly lucky to get one of those places. And so... I then had a 12-month contract with the BBC to go into when I graduated. I, I went straight into that training contract. And that was where I learned, that really was where I learned the craft of writing for TV and for radio, which is different, again, to newspaper writing and very different to, to writing essays in literature. So I'm going to go back just a moment uh, and then we'll kind of pick back up. What was, you said you worked for these you know, TV stations and things for free. What was your first paying job? Did you have a job before, you know, anything you did? No, the, the first, when I, I, mm. I did babysitting kind of like very, I taught in the, um, like the, the Hebrew classes in Manchester. I got paid for that, like mm -hmm. little jobs like that as a teenager. Um, but actually the first paid job would be, it was initially for free. And the first paycheck I picked up was um, while I was still at university, they, I started to be able to do some freelance work before I got onto that trainee scheme. It was very menial stuff. I'd be uh, paid to go and answer mm -hmm. phones for a little while. I think occasionally I was like the gopher. So I'd just be making tea and things, but I did it for free long enough that eventually they had to take me on to pay me for shift work. So that I think the first paychecks from the BBC were before mm -hmm. I graduated. Occasionally also, when I was at the university newspaper, I remember that we would send 
the occasional tip for a story into mm. the big like national newspapers and they would pay. So very occasionally you could send a tip for a story to the Times or the Guardian newspaper and they'd send you a check, but it was, a, right. it was not big money. Um, the, first, the first paid contract, the first proper job was the training with the BBC because that was a paid position. So that was the most amazing thing. My friends who've graduated were having to then pay themselves to do a, an extra postgraduate qualification in journalism. Uh, but in my situation, because I got one of these training places with the BBC, they paid me. I mean, it was it was amazing. I got a year's pay. And then before the end of that year, they offered me a, a job. They took me on. And, that and were you were you, you were still great. behind the camera writing or? No. So the training contract that they they gave me for that 12 months was the most incredible opportunity i don't think they still do it quite in the same way now it's but it's varied slightly but in those days they would do you did everything so i was behind the scenes i was producing some of the bulletins i was writing the copy uh but then sometimes i was also on on air on radio on tv i was doing uh weekend work evening work like i mean they knew they, they got their money's worth i was a young green key kid but um they trained me in everything it was on the job training and also at the same time that we'd go to classes mm. every few months there was mm. legal training um and, and you know that kind of technical training i remember going to a class about graphics how to produce television graphics and so it, it was everything it was in the whole 12 months um they they get a lot one did you think did you always think because of your, you know, experience going to TV when you were younger that you wanted to do TV as opposed to a newspaper journalist? You know, was that always kind of the plan or is it because you had that bug or how did you decide, oh, I want to do TV as opposed to traditional newspaper journalism? Yeah, that actually that penny dropped when I was still at university because of the thing that I, I loved the paper, I loved hanging out, you know, in, in, in the newspaper offices and all of that. But what I hated was the fact that I'd write the, the, the report and then I'd wait like actually in the case of the university newspaper it was coming out I think it was every fortnight so sometimes I'd be waiting like two weeks to see the the report in print and that was the only thing I didn't like it didn't feel immediate enough for me when at the same time I was doing that interning in um, broadcast newsrooms and I could see the pace was different now I mean you could ask a newspaper reporter how they felt and they may not give you that same response it's, it's horses for courses and people have different views and also nowadays i think newspaper journalists are working in a multimedia way that didn't apply that you have to remember that this was ah, a long time it was more than 20 years ago so there was no multidisciplinary newspaper reporters just wrote copy and it went to a newspaper there wasn't really an online presence then for, for papers and, and nowadays when i go out working and I see my colleagues from newspapers, they're also turning up with cameras, they're doing all of that stuff. So that in those days that didn't apply. And I just felt for me that, that written journalism to go into print wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to turn stuff around in, in sort of much more quickly. Well, it seems like you had a trajectory because you started with kind of the essay, long form literature and then newspaper and then to the fastest pace in terms of TV being pretty quick. Um, yeah, although what I would tell you is that I never wrote an essay, uh, like before the night before it was due. I mean, so that's the one thing. Every time I, I had to write a, any kind of a dissertation or a project or anything, it was always the last minute. I've always been like that. I like to write under pressure. <laughs> so you like the pressure? I, like, I, find, I find it easier 
perversely to write and produce material when I know I'm working to a deadline. Um, so, so with you, like with the university work, I remember leaving it to the last minute, but now, I mean, sometimes we're working, I, like really, like even when the program is, is already on air and we're still producing the material. That's, so I, I just find that sort of adrenaline kick, I guess, or, or you know, however you want to describe it, but the productivity that that gives me is, the positive that gives me is, is what I enjoy. You've done, you've worked for the BBC for a long time. What's the most kind of surprising place you found yourself, whether it was a certain location or engaging with a particular person? What do you say? I could have never imagined this. I mean, there've been all sorts. Um, actually, but even before I started at the BBC, went back at that student newspaper and it was called London Student, by the way. I should give them a name check. Um, they sent me one time, I can't remember why, but I, they sent me one time to go inside a prison and I had a pretty sheltered upbringing, actually. I was in a nice suburban house with a, a lawyer father and, you know, life was good growing up. Um, and I remember going into this men's prison for the student paper. We got access to go inside with the photographer and the inmates were, they hadn't seen a woman for a long time. They were banging on the railings and calling my, like not my name, but they were calling at me and shouting, it's quite frightening. Um, and I remember thinking, like, how did I end up in here? And, and, you know, subsequently with the BBC, I've done training to go into riots. I've been into situations with, with unrest, civil unrest, and, and that kind of thing always just brings me up a bit short. I always think, you know, this is so far from my comfort zone. This is so far away from, from where I was brought up. But that's what I find fascinating. But you enjoy it? Yes, I do. I like to see... It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to, to get a, a front row seat at places and, and ways of life that I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to do. And that goes right to the other end of the spectrum. I mean, you know, I've interviewed prime ministers. That's also a moment where you think, you know, how did I get here? It's, it's basically anywhere in which I'm not in my four walls, which is mm. like where we are right now. <laughs> but, you know, where I get the chance to go and see something you get some pretty amazing access, uh, or I have done over the years, to see places and, and meet people who I wouldn't have had the opportunity to. That, and that's a great buzz, always. Looking at some of the you know, movies and TV about broadcasting and journalism, it seems in TV a lot of people are looking to try and become the anchor. And you know, in the BBC, you have your anchor, and then you have the people in the field, and you spent most of your career kind of in the field. Did you ever think you'd want to, as you were, you know, having children and not wanting to be in all these, you know, maybe slightly dangerous places to be more settled or, or, or be kind of in the studio. Did that ever appeal to you? I've done a bit of that. I did some radio presenting, um, a few years ago. I, and I'm not going to rule this out forever, but it's not something that I have been driven to doing mm -hmm. particularly. I mean, juggling this work with a family is a crazy nightmare. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but, for me, working in the field with the, the team who I work with, and I've worked now with the same cameraman shoot edit for the last 10 years, the production team I work with, the way we work, there are some really cold, wet, miserable days out there. But the, you know, the camaraderie, the fun to be in that group is, is something I enjoy. Um, and I haven't been tempted to stop doing that yet, but come back to me in a few years, I may take a different view. So... 
you know, I often ask my guests about storytelling and, and telling good stories within the business. And I know you're not in the, in the normal corporate business world, but I, I, when I was thinking about it, you, your business is about telling stories. So did that training you had, you know, in the beginning or even, you know, in terms of wanting to how, how to craft a compelling story, especially since you've got such a short amount of time to convey it. Did you have any sort of that training and what do you, what were the kind of highlights of how to tell a good story? So, I, I mean, I still have a strong memory of the, other than that time when the, the university um, news editor ripped up the, the copy of starting out when I was still training um, in, in some radio writing. And I, again, I wrote a script which was torn up and the, the editor on that occasion said, look, well, you, you need to draw the, the listener in far more quickly than you're doing. So she taught me that day, you know, get rid of the waffle, put this, um, these disciplines, there are lots of different ways that you can do this. But I was writing on that particular day, I was writing for a news bulletin for radio, which is pretty much as short and succinct as you can get. You know, you maybe have mm-hmm. 30 seconds to, to, to pull a story together. And she taught me to put them, the salient points in there, the most important points at the top of the script to keep it punchy, lose the flowery language, write to engage the listener. Um, and I had a lot of that training, and that's a very different discipline to television writing. Um, the TV writing training I had was that, you know, if you close your eyes and you listen to a television script, so if, if you watch, next time you should try doing this, the next time you watch a TV news report, if it's been well written for television, if you close your eyes, it shouldn't make great sense. The writing for a TV news report has to work with the pictures. You don't write in a very basic way to just repeat what's being seen on the screen. You write to complement what's being seen on the screen. Your, your, your writing has to be gentle to work with the pictures. That's a whole different discipline to writing for radio. And I learned that over quite a long time through talking to different people that I worked alongside, not just the other journalists who were writing, but the cameramen, the sound recordists, who taught me um, about letting the natural sound breathe when I'm putting together a, a, a TV report. So there's a whole load of different, I mean, we could talk just about this for, for many hours. There's a whole load of different ways that, that you can bring those skills into play when you're writing for, for TV and for radio particularly. Um, but and that's still training, actually, that I kind of, I would say I'm, I'm going through now. I mean, I've been doing it for more than 20 years, as, as I said. I still learn stuff. We're still developing how we work technically and the technical developments have an impact on the way the journalism and the writing work. So when I first started working in TV news, we were cutting on tape. We were editing with tape in a kind of linear way. And so that meant you had to commit to the script because the editor, there came a point you could mess about for a bit, not for very long because the deadline was tight, but, but eventually the editor would say, you have to commit to what you're writing now and lay the voice track down because we're going to edit this and you would physically be editing with a tape machine. Now that's all gone and it's a digital non-linear edit. Um, mm-hmm. you can, we can chop and change and we do. I know I have colleagues who work differently to me who may, they may pull together a film which lasts four minutes and then at the end time they, they, they cut it for four minutes and then I'll cut it back to two minutes. I don't mm-hmm. work like that. I tend to build up as I go along. And I work mm-hmm. with a cameraman who edits his own shots. So we work together very collaboratively. Um, but we still, like even last week, we started working in a different way because of 
uh, the coronavirus, we're working at the moment in a very different way to how we have ever done before. And that has impacted on the way I work also, the way I write probably a little bit. So uh, we're still learning. It's still changing and evolving. And are you, have you always written the stories you've presented? Yes. Yeah. So I, the, commonly I, I work in a team of three. So the, there's the cameraman editor um, and I have a producer and then there's myself. So the producer will help to do the, the, the production behind the scenes, setting up the, the guests and, and working collaboratively with me before we get to film anything. The cameraman editor is, is doing what it says on the tin. He shoots and he edits. Um, and then I will write the script. I write the script as, as one of those team of three. So it, it's, you know, it's not a question of me going away and writing a script and then coming back for the edit. What we'll tend to do is the three of us will sit together. Mm. Normal, in normal times, we would be sitting in an edit suite together or in a, the back of a, an edit van. We work out of a, a mobile van. At the moment, we're all in different houses and we're, we're mm -hmm. connecting by Zoom, actually. The, the edit program we use, Final Cut Pro, um, is shared on, on screen share and then we'll be using mm -hmm. it to connect. So that's a new way of working. But, the, but the, commonly, the cameraman will show me the shots he has. Uh, we'll play around with the best sequences. He'll look at the way he wants to edit them. I might write a little bit and see if it works. Sometimes he asks me to flip a sentence around because the words don't quite fit with the shots in that way. Or I may do the same to him. Can he reverse the shots so I can write the script the way I want? And we build it slowly that way together. But my turnaround times are on the day. Occasionally, um, we have longer production times if we're working on a story which is maybe an investigative piece or a long-term project, which I also do. Um, but I would say probably 60 to 70% of the time, I'm turning material around within a few hours. So from shooting it to airing it is happening within three or four hours. So that's a very tight timeline. And I'm curious, you talked a lot about the training. So do you think that being good at telling these stories, even for journalism, is a skill that obviously can be developed? Or do you think some people just naturally, could anyone be a, you know, a successful you know, journalist? Or do you think there's, some, there's something innate about being curious or something that, where those kind of skills can't be taught? Yeah, well, okay. I, I think there are so many things that go into the full picture. Um, so you, yeah, you have to be curious. You have to want to be... Um, engaged it's you have to want to be engaged with the world around you and 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 not just settle for the first answer you're given so the if you take the the tv production side of this away for a minute the common um quality i guess of all journalists is that they should be critical uh, and curious and able to look at something sideways and and, and impartial and, and actually drill right down to the bottom of it and just check each time you're researching something, have you got to the end, to the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow? Have you asked all the questions you can ask here? Or is there a possibility that you're missing something? So you need to be forensic in what you're doing. Not every story I work on is, is an investigation. Sometimes it's just a news event, something has happened and we go and cover it. But even then, have we spoken to all the, the relevant people? Have we looked at it from each angle necessary? So that's one of the, 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 the vital things. You have to be able to manage your time really efficiently, multi-skill and multitask really efficiently, because if you have a window of three or four hours to produce something from scratch, 
Um, what you don't have time to do is shoot as much as you want, you know, do it on the fly. It, the planning aspect of it is really important, but you also need to know what you don't want as much as what you do want. Um, so the pieces that I've been working on most recently to do with the coronavirus, we've had a really short window to pull them together. And I've had to be really specific with the producer. We only need to speak to two people. They have to be uh, coming at it from this angle and this angle. We only have an hour to do this, you know, and, and you've just got to be, I think, precise enough and confident enough in your own ability to know that you're going to pull it off. It's always a gamble. I, there are some days when my heart is in my, my boots because I think, oh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure we're going to do this today. Somehow we, we gem, generally do pull it off. But um, there's a lot of that kind of skill set, um, I think, which is probably common to all kinds of journalism and reporting. And then on top of that, you have the TV and the radio broadcast skills. And increasingly, the one thing I haven't talked to you about yet is the digital production skills now that so so as well as producing a conventional tv package um, a report we're also increasingly producing material for our online platforms and digital video platforms which are different they're being turned around and produced in a very different way to, to the conventional way that you'd structure a tv film so that stuff is also going on at the same time i want to highlight something you point out about the skill set for journalists about being impartial. Uh, one of the things I've been doing recently uh, over the last couple of weeks during this crisis is flipping back between CNN and Fox News, which in the US have very different perspectives uh, in the way they report the news. And I I'm curious if you think, I guess I would I presume you think news should be impartial, but can can you, really be impartial i guess is my question and and how do you how do you not allow your perspective to influence how you tell a story uh so i mean i, I come from a long tradition of, of impartial news production because the bbc as a state broadcaster in the uk uh, i mean actually i would say all the broadcasters in the uk generally are producing impartial news that's the tradition here um, the newspapers are different. The newspapers have political agendas from the right wing to the left wing. Um, TV news here is different to American TV news. And the BBC TV news is, is I mean, we operate to a, a code called the Editorial Guidelines, which is an actual thick book that if I thought about, I'd have had it here to show you. It's in the other room. Um, but we have a whole list of um, rules that we have to stick to, to... Um, to constantly check that we're being impartial. The way we're funded through the, the license fee here, so it's not a subscription. If you live in the UK and you own a television, you have to pay an annual license fee. And with that, you get all of the TV, the, the, all of the TV channels, which are non-paid for, the, the non-subscription channels. But you also get all of the BBC output, the website, the radio stations, the TV channels, and everything else. And because it's publicly funded, particularly, we have a responsibility to the, the, the audience who are tuning in that day, but also to all license fee payers. That's the way we're trained. So right from the beginning of my journalistic training, when I joined the BBC all those years ago, that was drilled into us. It's still drilled into us. We have an editorial um, standards department. We're not given uh, in any day, we're not given a, a line to follow which has a political bent to it. I've never had a news editor in the BBC tell me, you need to come at it from this angle or that angle. What they want is for us to be accurate 
and and to be impartial. So when you're coming up to an election in, in the UK, the bulletins will follow that absolutely to the letter. They'll put on the, the same number of candidates from each party. Um, they measure the time that they're on air for, that sort of thing. Um, and that goes for news coverage as well. We, we don't produce the sort of opinionated coverage. There are programmes with opinions in them, but that's not the news bulletins. Um, there are, there are phone-in programmes, there are audience participation panel programmes uh, within the news and current affairs department, but the actual news bulletins are, are impartial. And, and it's not difficult, and you asked me whether it's difficult to do. For me, no, because that was always how I was trained. Uh, and look, I have personal opinions because I'm a human being, and I'd, I'd, lie, you know, I'd be lying if I told you that, that there were times that I've produced, certainly produced reports where I've personally had an opinion about what I'm doing but I've never been able to let that show on air and it would be wrong for me to do that so I've, I've interviewed people I vehemently disagree with personally and it doesn't you know it doesn't mean that I'm going to treat them any differently they still deserve my respect I still have to hear what they want to say and then in the piece that I produce I have to give an evenly balanced um it's, it's always a kind of on the, the one hand so and so said this on the other hand the other side said that that's just that's the tradition we worked with so you've had to report things impartially. Has there ever been a story you wished you had reported on, but someone else got the story? Oh my, I'm sure, I'm sure there have been. I can't think of one off, off the top of my head. I, I mean, I think there's certainly been stories where I've, it, I felt very driven to want to stay on the story, mm. which is a different answer, I guess. But um, so I, most recently the, the Manchester arena, terror attack that you um that you mentioned right at the beginning there so when that happened there were an enormous amount of journalists who who turned up the first day that the, that was an attack which happened at uh, half past 10 at night the end of the the ariana grande um, concert in manchester and i was not called straight away in fact i phoned i remember phoning the news desk when i heard what was going on and begging to be sent to the story and they said don't go now don't we're okay overnight we have staff there we need you tomorrow and i was itching mm. it was a kind of journalist like instinct i don't live too far away i know the area and i was desperate to go right then um and then when i turned up the next day i i remember seeing all the journalists and the the news crews and it was crazy and i just thought this is my city i want to i really wanted to make sure that i was involved one way or another in covering the story so it wasn't so much that that i was um uh, seeing other people doing it and, and wishing I, I, you know, feeling left out. I, I was just driven to be able to tell the stories of the people in the city where I, where I live. And actually, that is what happened. It, um, interestingly, I didn't get involved in covering the the kind of terrorism aspect of that story. What I was tasked with in the end was following the stories of the, the people, the families, and the, and the kind of human stories of the people affected by that attack. And that's very much what I. Um, I would say enjoy doing that sounds wrong, but that that's the kind of line of journalism that I'm comfortable with is, is telling human stories, talking to to people one to one about their experience and trying to convey a little of that to the audience, making that connection. And you're, you're all about joining the dots. So connecting the dots, that's a really good um, point there for me, uh, or a good example of it is I think you've, you've made a, a really good piece of um, of television news footage 
I feel when I have, have been true to the subject. So I've spoken to somebody who's had an experience like in, in, in the Manchester Arena attack or, or in many other stories I've covered. And I've been true to, I've given them the opportunity to tell their story. I've been true to them and, and it's resonated with the audience. I've connected that dot all the way through to the audience. So the audience has come away feeling impacted by hearing the story of the person in the interview. That's, for me, that's a, a point of success. I'm happy with my work when I know that that's what we've achieved. And related to that, what inspires you? What inspires me? Um, watching our colleagues, actually, who, who do it well. Um, I, I always want to make sure I'm still on top of my game, and sometimes I watch what they're doing. And I think that's, hmm. that's a, a great bit of writing. That's a great bit of, uh, of TV production. So there are some... Look, I'm very fortunate to work for... for I would say the world's most uh, <laughs> um, you know, prominent, the best broadcaster. Other broadcast organizations would, would dispute that. But you know, some of the, the journalists who, who work for the BBC, um, who I'm proud to call colleagues, um, big names in television news, Orla Guerin and Fergal Keane, and uh, I mean, you know, going back, Martin Bell and John Simpson, seeing those people reporting when I was growing up, and some of them are still working there. Um, and, you know, they're lucky enough, I'm lucky enough sometimes that they'll um, connect with me and, and I, that sort of thing inspires me. They're, they're my colleagues, but actually uh, I can still learn a lot. I, I still do learn a lot regularly from watching their work and, and speaking to those people. So, you know, that, that's probably where I'm at. Um, growing up, it was, it was reading writers who I enjoyed, often journalists who wrote books. or I, I tend to gravitate towards not so much fiction, despite the fact I did English literature at uni, but I like biography. I like, uh, I like hearing about people's real lives. That's what inspires me. So you've been in this business for 20 years. What one piece of advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? I keep going. Um, don't lose that ambition and determination and drive. Um, because actually at 21, that I was still... Uh, Yes, pretty idealistic. But I think in those days, I thought I'd spend a lot more time doing um, work abroad, being a foreign correspondent, and I haven't done that. And that's because I got to a stage where I wanted a family. I think I'd have told my 21-year-old self maybe to be realistic, to understand what goes into making a full life. It's not just the job, actually. I have a great time outside of work, <laughs> and I wouldn't have known that at 21. Or even, do you know what, even if I had been told that I think I'd have ignored it um, but maybe just to be realistic as well as ambitious but keep going because it's a it's a kind of business this where you really do need a lot of determination I think it's a competitive industry it's increasingly competitive it's a harder industry to get into now in many ways than it was back then um, that said, it's been democratized as well. So, of course, now everyone can make content, everyone can upload something, everyone can shoot for YouTube. And uh, we, in fact, we use a lot of content that the audience sent to us. Right now, during um, COVID-19, we are screening video diaries and, and stuff from the public, which is, um, is fantastic material and a real insight. And, and it's, it's taking us to places we couldn't get with conventional film crews at the moment. So um, that's a whole new way of working. So in some ways, it's easier to become a journalist, I guess, now than it was. In other ways, the industry is contracted. It's harder, I think, to get a foothold in the traditional jobs. And I don't think that a journalist starting now would necessarily get the opportunities I did. 
with the training and the salary and everything else straight away. So uh, it's just be determined. If you really want it, keep going and you'll get there. And you're talking about some of the changes that are happening in your industry. So what do you think, you know, a lot of things are going digital and you're now getting user-generated content. Do you see those things? Obviously in the crisis, we're doing that, but do you, what do you see as the some next trends in broadcast journalism? Well, the audiences for television news bulletins are declining, uh, being realistic. That's so, you know, the, fe- the future does not look great for the traditional news bulletin. That said, I don't, I don't personally believe that it's the end of the road for the TV news bulletin. I think that there is always going to be a, a section of the audience who wants that. I think that probably TV news reporting and digital video will become closer together. You're, what you'll start seeing on TV probably is more akin to what you may see in terms of digital video. Um, which is probably more self-authored pieces than necessarily a conventional um, journalist narrated piece. I think there's room for both, but those are the sorts of boundaries that are being blurred. Sometimes you'll see with digital news reports, the reporter isn't there. Uh, you'll see that you know the pictures, maybe the same pictures that I'm using for the TV report, but the, the reporter has disappeared. There's words on the screen. I think the way all of that is being produced will start to merge between TV and digital. Um, even now with, with this crisis, actually, that is happening because our resources are having to be used in a different way. So people talking to camera themselves instead of perhaps looking to the side like they might have done in the past, mm-hmm. or the style of it, the language of it, the grammar of it is slightly changing. Um, I don't know. Looking forwards, I, I, I don't know what ultimately we will be watching in 5, 10, 15 years' time. I think the bottom line is that people will still want to be able to go to a credible news source for accurate, impartial news. Um, so how they end up getting that, whether it's predominantly through a digital online kind of resource rather than through the conventional TV or radio, maybe, but, but there's still going to be an, a need for journalism and a need for the truth and, and impartiality. That's my strong belief. And what about for you, Judith, what's next for you? Do you see, I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years you talked about maybe looking to do more of a studio job. Like, where do you see yourself going next? Um, I mean, that is a great question. I don't have a, a back of an envelope plan right now. And that's because I'm bringing up a family. So uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it depends where, where next is. I, my, my current ambition is to carry, being able to carry on spinning the plates I'm currently spinning. Uh, for certainly the, the, the next few years while my kids are still in school, still at home. Uh, I work four days a week and they're very long days. So it feels at the moment like I'm, um, I'm pretty satisfied actually with, with the work and life balance that I have. I'm not looking to relocate to go abroad anywhere necessarily. But I think I'd like perhaps when the kids are a little less dependent on me to be able to do more foreign traveling perhaps um perhaps shorter term projects rather than relocating entirely i don't know i mean one of the things i would say that i love about the bbc and it's the reason one of the main reasons i've stayed with them and not gone to other broadcasters is it's such an enormous organization it gives me the opportunity to go and do temporary roles in different departments if i want it's it's an organization which allows people to move within roles quite flexibly uh, so if I fancy going to work in another area, another location, or another programming department, I could do that. Um, I don't feel the drive to do it right now, but again, you know, come back to me mm-hmm. <laughs> in the future. 
<laughs> we'll check in with you in a couple of years. All right, now's the portion where I'm going to have my nine rapid fire questions. So don't try and think it too much and uh, just give me first thing that kind of comes to your head. Is it better to be a planner or a doer? Well, both ideally, but a, if I had to choose a doer, a doer, because you can, yeah, I mean, I mean, I often don't get the time to do a lot of planning with daily news, but you have to get it done. Should stories always have happy endings? Uh, no, but they should always have, well, they should always have, ideally have endings. Uh, I, I don't like to be left hanging. So <laughs> if you can wrap it up one way or another, that's good for me. Do you have a favorite emoji? Oh man, uh, no, I, but not the, not the poo. What do you call it in the States? Have the crap emoji. I don't, I don't like uh, that. So that's the one that kids love and not, not so much for me. Just the smiley face then. We'll stick with that. Uh, if you had to sing a karaoke song, what song would you sing? Uh, you know, we had a karaoke party in my, my, my office Christmas party, and it was American Pie, <laughs> the old standard. So very appropriate. For, <laughs> um, do you have a favorite social media platform? Uh, well, I, probably Twitter. I mean, I hang out on Facebook with friends, but Twitter is, is where we are at work a lot. Uh, Insta, less mm -hmm. so for me, although I... I like looking at Insta, but I think I, I am busier with Twitter. Can you name a book that left a lasting impression on you? I know you have many, so I'll just name one. Or... Uh, so I read a um, couple books in the last year by a, a journalist author called Deborah Feldman called Exodus and Unorthodox, which is a story, it's a true story again, um, of a, a woman who was in the Hasidic community and she, she left the community. She broke away from it and I found that really, really gripping read and it left me afterwards wanting to know more. Again, I, I guess because it's a world I wouldn't normally have any kind of uh, personal knowledge of, so it was an insight into something else and it's, it's a, an engagingly written story also, so I'd recommend those. Can you name one of your favourite movies? So, corny old, I, I, like, uh, I like My Cousin Vinny. I cover a lot of court cases. That is a funny, I, I just, it makes me laugh every time I watch that. Love every it. Christmas, I watch Love Actually, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a Brit flick. Um, and, and The Artist, uh, which has no dialogue. So for a writer, um, maybe a curious choice, but it's beautiful, that film. I agree. It's really wonderful. Uh, what's one thing you can't live without? Coffee in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> keeps you going <laughs> and if if you could be credited with inventing something what would it be and why oh uh the I, the internet would be good um i always think the guy who did invent that gets not doesn't get enough credit tim berners lee um isn't it uh so yeah mm. maybe the internet uh, Judith, thank you so much. Uh, you've been wonderful in sharing with us. Is there anything you're promoting at the week, uh, at the present you want to share or how people would find ways to connect with you on social media, tw your Twitter handle, things we can include in the show notes? Um, is there any project you, you feel passionate you wanted to share about? So I, I'm at Judith Moritz, M-O-R-I-T-Z, um, on Twitter and Insta. You'll find me as well, but I'm not as active there. But yeah, go, go for Twitter. Um, just, I guess I would just promote what we're doing at BBC News, particularly around coronavirus right now, because we, one of the, you know, I talked to you earlier about the, the, the guide, the editorial rules that we have to stick to. And one of the things that they drill into us is that we're there to educate 
entertain and explain. And a lot of the material we're producing right now around coronavirus um, is around the explanation side. So the BBC website, if you go to the, the BBC website, which is also a portal to a lot of the video work we're doing, um, I, I think there's a lot to be proud of there. I mean, this is a story unlike any other that any of us have covered. Uh, it's, it's a career-defining moment, this, I think. And um, it's astonishing some of the material we're producing, but it, it, it's also terribly sad, isn't it? But I think um, it, that's not something I'm doing on my own. That's, I'm mm. part of an enormous team, but I'm, I'm really you know, proud. And, and um, at the moment, that's probably what I'd point you to. So I'll have to work in now a BBC as part of my stations that I watch for news because I think I could take a break from the U.S. broadcast of of what's going on. World service as well, which yes. is the. Um, I think we can even get it on our Amazon Alexa. We can ask for them. Um, Judith, this has been lovely. I really appreciate you sharing and giving us access to the inside of what it's like to be a, a, a BBC journalist. And I really want to just say thank you for helping us connect the dots. You're welcome. It's been fun. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.